0: I want to start by sharing just a bit of my story. After that, I'll have a message for you uh, to help us reclaim any part of our faith that we may have given up and given over to the non-affirming conservative church and to reclaim the core of what gives our life meaning and purpose to know our place in the world. My husband and I were in the conservative evangelical church for 25 years. We raised our kids there. We did Bible studies. We led. My husband was a worship leader. Everything you could do, we did. And then our daughter, who may or may not be sitting in the front row, came out as queer. And the church said, oh, great, we're so glad. No, they didn't. <laughs> they said, "You, this doesn't work. This is a deal breaker. The people that I told, said, this is a sin and you can't accept it. Like it was a job offer in Des Moines. (laughs) Instead of my daughter. (gasps) Amazingly, we were also excluded from family. From holidays and other gatherings, we found out about a big family reunion on Facebook that night. I'm pretty sure that Some of you, maybe many of you, have been likewise shunned. And if that's true, my heart really goes out to you. And all the while, I thought, how unlike Jesus all this is. Jesus, the story of radical love and inclusion. It was almost like, well, it was like I was given a choice between God or my daughter. That's not the choice, people. That's not the choice. God gave me my daughter. To choose God is to choose my daughter. To reject my daughter is to reject what God has given me. So this started a journey which led me to become a fully affirming advocate for LGBTQ. My husband and I both, um, about two years after my daughter came out, then my youngest daughter came out as well so we're in two for five just so you know but we love our straight kids too so our our that journey of discovery and understanding what's the big deal why is this a deal breaker in the church when we don't hear Jesus talk about it ever why is this a deal breaker was an amazing journey and so uh, now I can't imagine us doing anything but this so we're in we help free the hearts of LGBTQ people and their families from the toxic twist of scripture and to help them understand that they're included you can read what we do on freedhearts.org we have a lot of resources there we have video courses and I have two of my books up front for you too today I want to help us reclaim a faith that's been lost to the non-affirming church And to help all of us be more effective in reaching our non-affirming church family and friends. In order to do that effectively, we have to build a vision of the radical, lavish, Christ-like love and inclusion that Jesus brought. Though Jesus appears to be part of every church every Sunday morning, in a whole lot of them, he's really just the mascot. His brand is up up there, but his teaching is not. His heart is not being taught. But I'm here today to reclaim Jesus. Jesus tells the story of the outlier as the included. He's the one who invites us all to follow him, set aside rules and regulations in favor of people, and just follow him because we're all included. And it's time to take the story of Jesus back and reclaim our birthright as included. Let's look at a few stories and parables, the point of all of which is to say you're included. The Good Samaritan. This is an amazing story of a man lying beaten by the side of the road and the religious leaders passing by. They don't have time for this. They've got religion to attend to. So instead... This outlier from a hated race comes by. Let's say he's an undocumented immigrant. He's a person of color, flaming, gender nonconforming. And he's the one who takes care of this man. And Jesus holds him up as an example of what he's talking about when he describes being a good neighbor. He's the person who loves others well. This is Jesus at his finest, He's overturning their understanding as clearly as he overturned the tables in the temple. This could be the banner story of the LGBTQ community and their families who love them. Let's reclaim that story. How about the amazing story of the woman forgiven for adultery? Okay, religious leaders have this harebrained idea that they're going to entrap Jesus by setting this woman up in adultery. They drag her out to the public square, and they're picking up stones to kill her with. They brought this case to Jesus ostensibly for his rulings, but they're so sure he has nothing to say, new, that they already have their answer in their hand. Here's how Jesus responded to this woman. She's included. He shuts down her accusers. He sends them away, and he says, neither do I condemn you. What a shocking, scandalous story that is. And he says privately to her, he removes her shame. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Then at the very end, we have this thing that says, uh, that Jesus said, go and sin no more. Now, let me tell you, that is not even in the original. I'm just saying. And a a friend, I just learned this last night, that one of the Moody Bible um, instructors or pastors, has said, well, it's no, it's not in the original, that's true, but it sounds like something Jesus would have said. (laughs) Okay, we disagree on that. (laughs) So, um, but even if you look at go and sin no more, what does it really mean? Sin is an archery term that means you miss the mark. We do that countless times, all the time, and it's not inherently carrying that moral weight that's been attached to it over the centuries through all kinds of church history. Go and sin no more. Nobody goes and sins no more. He wasn't saying it like that's a thing you could actually do. (laughs) He's already a freeder from the effects of the law. What, now he's going to bring the law back in? That makes zero sense. No, he's saying you don't have to live like this, taking scraps from men who are willing to have you killed to prove their point. Doesn't that sound more like Jesus? He's saying, I I have real life to offer. You don't let them throw you under the bus. I I think a lot of us might say that to our kids. Oh, that person's not good for you. You know, we want to protect them. And out of this entire mind-blowing story, modern religious leaders take from it. What did they take from it? Go and sin no more? Come on now my eyes roll not only that well the point of that is we need to we need to reclaim that story cuz that's a story of inclusion how about the woman who anoints jesus here we've got this woman that the town calls a sinful woman jesus doesn't call her that i'm just saying but the religious leaders scandal so she scandalously comes into this room full of religious leaders, all men. She lets down her hair and she sits and she weeps and and caresses Jesus' feet and rubs them with her hair. This is a scandal, y'all. And who does Jesus correct? The religious leader who is judging her. I think that's fairly important. I think that's the message of She's included, and we can reclaim that. How about one man, one woman? Have you ever heard that? Yeah, you may have heard that claim from Matthew five and Matthew nineteen, that Jesus affirms marriage is between one man, one woman. But that's not what's happening. Jesus is answering questions of the religious leaders in yet another plan to entrap him. They had this thing called no cause divorce, while uh, which essentially allowed them to get out of a marriage. Allowed men, not women. <laughs> be silly, but it allowed men <laughs> to get out of marriages where they were tired of their wives. And he's saying, no way. You're not going to treat marriage as a revolving door and throw these women out so they're unmarriable now and destitute. That's not what marriage is all about. It's about commitment. It's about partnership. That's what he's affirming in that story. And he's saying it because he's saying these wives are included. It wasn't a treatise on marriage, which at that time was one man, one woman, but Jesus knows the history of the multiple wives, the thing we just read about all the concubines. Okay. Um, He was addressing a current issue and answering a particular question. So why do religious leaders twist scriptures like this to maintain their status quo? That's been true throughout our entire history. But Jesus said no because he's always saying, you're included, and I have harsh words for anyone who says you're not included. In, in Genesis, Jesus, in that same passage, he quotes uh, Genesis, that God made the male and female, but let's not get distracted by that because he's still addressing the current issue of divorce and of relationship, of commitment. That's what they're asking about. To treat it any other way is to misappropriate it. He's talking about our, our need to be in partnered relationship. Jesus knows about intersex, doesn't he? So male, female was never meant to be comprehensive. Genesis also says God created day and night, but you never see anybody running in at dusk saying, it's not day or night, i got to go inside. We have dusk, we have dawn, we have, you know, the, these aren't comprehensive categories. And it's really vital that we not take them literally because they were never meant to be literal. This is another story of defending the marginalized, and we get to reclaim it. Another phrase we've all heard is tough love. You heard that phrase? What? That's used to suggest that we're supposed to draw a line somewhere on people's sin. Where? Well, that's up for debate. For their benefit. But tough love is only tough. It's not love. It's not in the Bible. It was invented. It was coined by a man who had created a halfway house for at-risk youth. And the tough love was rules for them to be able to live in this house so that they could be included, not excluded. And to use that phrase, as if God said it, to exclude people, is anathema to the gospel. It's bullying, which is always a power play. When you're looking at any scripture, the only way to read it is through the eyes of the oppressed and the marginalized. If you're reading it from the point of view of the oppressor to use it to oppress, you're reading it wrong. Always look at whether it's meant to include or exclude, and then you'll have your answer on your interpretation. Let's reclaim that. How how about this? Go and tell your brother their sin. There are two beautiful verses about inclusion that have been twisted to justify exclusion. Matthew 5.23, Jesus says, So if you're presenting your sacrifice at the altar, at the temple, and suddenly you remember someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. That means if you've hurt someone or if they think you've hurt them, then go make it right because they're included. A similar verse just down in Matthew 18, 15 adds, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. This verse is about reconciling so that people can be, (laughs) what? Included. We've heard this verse pulled out to justify kicking out LGBTQ people or people having sex before marriage or anybody who goes against the church teaching of the moment, and uh, you know, kicked out of churches, or even, for heaven's sake, their homes. There is no justification, zero, for that. This is a means to reconcile when we offend each other, not a police badge to go straighten everybody out. Let's reclaim that. These ber- verses have been twisted into a broom, To make a broad sweep about church discipline, but that's a misuse. This is not about ferreting out people's sin as determined by the church. On the contrary, it's about how to reconcile, to put, uh, reconcile people together, even in our offenses. Anything else is contrary to that. So let's reclaim that. Jesus gave one command, and that's to love. Love God and love people. Everything else, the law and the prophets, will all fit under that. Throwing out our kids or families that support them is not loving others. It's not loving the God who made those others. To love others in the power of Christ is to include. You can't stop people who want to take matters in their own hands and decide who's a sinner and who's not but you don't have to be at the effect of them. You can see their Phariseeism for what it is and decline to let them tell you that you're not included. Take a deep breath. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're included. Now take a deep breath and turn to the person next to you and say, I'm included. I want to close by telling you the story of the prodigal daughter. Mitchell had fought back the growing awareness that deep down where no one could see, he was a she, and his name was Marissa. He had no idea how he would tell his father. Mitchell wrote a note, Dear Dad, I can't live this way anymore, I've tried for 20 years and I can't change this. I know you don't understand, it's taken me this long to understand, but I'm leaving. Because I'm not a man, I'm a woman, and I have to go figure out what that means. I'm sorry this hurts you, but I have no choice. Say goodbye to Mark for me. So Mitchell headed off on a journey where no one could follow and discovered Marissa. After a time, was it six months, two years, Marissa hardly knew. She had changed her number when she left and never once called her family. She decided to go home. She had no idea what to expect as she took the familiar roads back towards home. How would they receive her? Seized with fear, she panicked. She pulled over only 50 miles away. Home, she hadn't even said that word since she left. She'd pushed away every thought of home because she knew they wouldn't accept her. She'd left as Mitchell, and now she was going back as Marissa. How did she expect to go back? She dialed. She had to know what was ahead of her. Her dad picked up, and Marissa dumped out words that made no sense, trying to talk and not listen. What was she doing? But as she spoke, she heard words coming back. Yes, come home. So good to hear you. Of course, please come home. Somehow she drove those miles back to the house. Was that her father running out to see her? She'd never seen her father run before. He stopped. She got out of the car, and he ran up to her and looked at her and said, You look great. I've missed you so terribly. Tears streaming down his face. Something else Marissa had never seen. Neighbors looked out windows, stepped out on the porch. As the father ran up the steps with his arm flung over his son turned daughter and said, she's back. I hope you're hungry, Dad said. I picked up dinner after you called. Oh, that sounds great. Where's Mark? He's at work, his dad answered, but come tell me all about you. They talked long into the night, and that night Marissa slept in her old bed, and what had been tears of anguish were now tears of peace. The next morning, Mark, Mark found his father in the kitchen cooking pancakes and making coffee, and Marissa slept in. So how long is he staying? Marissa? Dad asked. She's back. She'll be home for a while. Dad, it's Mitchell, Mark said. Mitchell's a guy. How can you let him come in our house like this? He made a fool of you. He walked out of here without a look back. Now he parades in and heals, and you're okay with that? Son, when Mitchell left, I thought I would lose my mind. Losing your mother was the worst thing that ever happened to, to me. And then to lose Mitch, how can you be okay with that? Mitchell told me about wanting to be a woman. No, knowing he was a woman, that she was a woman. But I couldn't hear it, Mark. It made no sense to me. Then when he left, I was out of my mind. I couldn't believe it. So I did what I should have done in the very first place. I searched out answers. I tried to understand what this whole transgender thing meant. I know, Dad, and I couldn't believe you were buying it. Son, if you'd taken this journey with me, you'd understand. I'm just sorry it's taken me this long to understand. Mark fairly spat at him now. Take that journey with you. Mitch finally gets out of here with all his stupid crap and now he comes back and you welcome him? You ordered dinner for him last night and you're making breakfast now. What about me? When do you do that for me? Mark, I'm here for you all the time. I do get you dinner. I prayed night and day for Mitch and she is welcome in our, for Marissa, and she's welcome in our home. Dad, I did everything right. I never took a wrong turn. He felt like a child, but he couldn't help it. Mark, you have me, I'm here for you always. We're together anytime you want to be. Mark couldn't help the tears now, and his dad pulled him held and close and held him. Mark, my beloved son, don't resent Marissa. She's finally at peace. Let her have that. Mark let himself be engulfed. I just want you to be proud of me, Dad. Son, I couldn't be more proud of you. Don't do things to make me proud, I already am. Nothing will make me prouder. My beloved son, just rest. Enjoy how much I love you. The church that does not affirm LGBTQ people or others on the margins are deeply invested in doing right, in thinking they're right. And it's a very difficult thing, just like with Mark, to shift the thinking. Jesus' biggest directive was follow me when he called Called his disciples, what did he say to them? Follow me, because you're included. Follow me, and I'll show you how to include other people. Jesus' entire ministry is about inclusion. All the stories are about inclusion. The Good Samaritan, the point was inclusion. The beaten man, beaten man by the side of the road, he's included, and you're wrong if you step over him. The man who stopped to help, I know you hate his race, but he's included. The story of the woman forgiven for adultery, hey, she's included. That go and sin no more, that's not what I meant, and it's not even what I said. I said she's included. The bold woman who washed my feet, she's included. That marriage thing, yeah, I was answering a trick question, and I was saying you're included. No, you can't dispose of your wife when you're tired of her because she's included. The prodigal daughter, the trans daughter, you're included. The other son who's judging, what the heck, you're included too. That woman who who touched my robe, you're included. Those children, don't send them away. They're included. The gay children, the bi children, the transgender children, the agender, any of those kids, the kids of color, the homeless people, They're all included. Don't give me stuff about tough love because you don't get to not include people because I said they're included. It's time to reclaim all of this. It's time to build a vision in the non-affirming church for this lavish inclusion. What's Jesus all about? Inclusion. What's Jesus' main message? Inclusion. What's the parable about? Inclusion. What's that story about? Inclusion. What did he talk to the religious leaders about? Inclusion. I want you to leave here equipped to say, that is my Jesus, don't you dare use them against me. I want you to know that you belong, that you're worthy, that you're loved. And I want you to know in the deepest places of your heart that your life has a bold, miraculous, powerful meaning and purpose. The bottom line is that we affirm LGBTQI people and all people because of Jesus, not in spite of him. Because Jesus is the greatest story of inclusion ever told. Thank you. And I would love to take any questions or thoughts here that you have. I've stunned you all into silence. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody has anything. Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you. The first one is Mom, I'm Gay, Loving Your LGBTQ Child and Strengthening Your Faith. And that's for, for parents and other people to be able, it puts all their fears to rest. You know, it says you didn't cause it, they're not doing this to get back at you, you know, all of this stuff so they can be at rest. And um, I, I love giving parents permission. That's what they need is permission to love. And the other one is called True Colors, celebrating the truth and beauty of the real you. And that is a deeply healing workbook for the LGBTQ community or other marginalized people. It's um, deeply healing. So, yeah. Those are out there. Thank you. And we have video courses online too that go with them. It's freedhearts.org. Yeah. And we have resources and we resor- you know, all kinds of stuff to find there. 600 blog posts. Yeah. Yes. Um, how long do you think it's going to take? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I had a crystal ball a while ago. <laughs> no. I mean, 20 years, I mean, within 20 years, because the people that came up through the moral majority and Jerry Falwell and, you know, what are they now? How old are they now? And so um, this next generation, 40s and under, it's not an issue for the most part, unless they've been raised in that tradition. So I, I, I don't know, but for sure within 20 years, maybe 10 years, maybe five years, I don't know. But it's going that direction. And non-affirming churches know the writings on the wall. And they're seeing that there has to be a shift. So, yeah, we have a lot going on in the world, in our country today that, you know, so it's a little hard to predict. <laughs> yes? Did somebody have something? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's conservative, non-affirming. So there's a guy who went there. I love his story. He said, when I went in, I had to sign a statement of faith. And when I went out, five years later, I had to sign the same statement of faith. So what I'm saying is, in the five years of this religious training, I have had no religious growth. (laughs) So, um, yeah, they're non-affirming. And many of the big places like that are. And they're going to have to rethink it. It's it's not biblical. It's not the gospel. But people don't like to give up their worldview, and especially not in front of you. <laughs> so, yes, there's some work to do. But we're making progress. I think we have Christopher Ewing on staff, so I think they're more of a side B. Okay. Philosophy. Okay. You know, yeah, side B is, okay, we accept you as gay, but you can't act on it. Right. Which, to me, is saying... Okay, celibate, we don't believe, yeah, live a celibate life forever without relationship, and the whole Bible is about relationship and community. So, but you can't have community if you're gay. That's side B. But that's like saying, okay, we no longer believe that left-handed people are of the devil, but you just can't use your left hand. Well, then I, that helps me zero, zero. So, yeah, and worse than zero because it, it sounds like that's a good spot but it's not. Yeah. So I didn't mean to pick out on Moody Bible um, particularly. It was just that person who said that. But yeah, there's a lot going on. Yes. Could you explain the Q-I to me? Oh, Q um, is a reclaimed word of queer or questioning. Mm-hmm. But queer was pejorative, you know, for a long time. But it's being reclaimed. And really, in, depending on who's claiming it, you know, it has its own definition to them. But it means i'm not ascribing to the patriarchal male female binary i'm seeing things differently you know i'm i'm a woman but i'm fairly masculine or i'm a man or whatever it's it's just different from male female yeah and i oh sorry i is intersex which is actually i mean there's no denying you're born that way that means you you're You may be one genitals inside and the other outside or vice versa or hard to distinguish. Well, then that surely points to a spectrum, even a constellation, more than a male-female. And so I like that that's there as a visual aid of God saying, could you guys get over this here? Yeah. And A is agender, yes, yes, or asexual or... Or, yeah, at plus. <laughs> Which all of it, I mean, if you're talking about, look at the constellation in the sky of stars. It's kind of hard to line it up in so many letters. There's a whole variety of people. How many flowers, how many birds are out there? And we call them all either, you know, regular ones or or red ones. <laughs> but there are plenty more. And God, why would God make people in two varieties? We. This is not two varieties here, yeah. Right, we are all snowflakes, that's right. Who else, anybody else got anything? Well, it's a joy to see you and to be here with you. I was here last year. I come here usually at Christmas because two of my kids live here, even though we're from Austin. My husband and I come at Christmas, so maybe you'll see me next year. (laughs) Anyway, thank you.